This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. And you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. First up today, abandoned spaces are back in the headlines. Uh, this is coming as a report on Star Metro, I believe, about millions of ringgits, uh, millions of ringgit in assets. Be, having been spent as part of the River of Life project, um, now currently underutilized and run down. So they actually visited a number of these spaces. It's well worth a read. Um, and they kind of investigate what they call mysterious buildings because essentially they're structures that have come up, some of them very nice, some of them very well designed, uh, quite new looking, but then not connected to water or electricity with no clear purpose, no clear statement of, of what it's supposed to be. And so now they're just there. Um, they are guarded by security guards in some instances as a way to try and ensure that people aren't using it for nefarious reasons. But the point is, money was spent, buildings were built, but now what are they for? And this is something that we see not just in KL, right, but really in many places around Malaysia. And these structures are small, but we're also talking about malls, we're talking about condominiums, it's all sorts of things. Yeah, so the River of Life, I guess, is one of those projects where you have a concerted effort to revitalize a part of the city, right? And that's a one significant ca- chunk of the city, city right? Mm-hmm. And uh, following the river. Uh, and I, I think uh, one of the things there is that government might initiate these things, might enable it, but the end of the day, it's about business capital, about people. If people don't move there, businesses don't move into those buildings, if they don't see a purpose, if there's no way of making money, then these projects kind of flounder. Unless they are you know, the creation of parks and, and those kinds of things. But if they're real estate, they really are going to be driven by you know, kind of business logic. And, you know, uh, Lynn, I was just in Johor Bahru a couple of weekends ago. That's my hometown. Um, had some major malls, many of them abandoned. It's quite it's quite um, a stark reminder of what's happened to the uh, the economy of Johor Bahru, right? And so this is, again, one of those situations, quite different from the river of life, but in many ways, I think, having the same sort of structures, meaning if the business is not there that underscores these projects, then what you will have is abandoned spaces. So I think a part of my, let's call it confusion, um, is that surely we know who's responsible for these buildings, right? You would think so. And yet, I I don't think it's always so clear. Um, And beyond the fact that it's not clear whose responsibility it is, I think the other part of it is, okay, so now we we officially have a sick development. It's, It's abandoned or it's not finished or whatever it may be. Then who has the impetus to crack that whip and say, all right, listen, something has to happen here, right? Either we complete it or uh, we repurpose it or, you know, what goes on? What what happens? I just don't know enough, I guess. You know, what happens to a building that renders it this thing that just sits there and doesn't get used and nobody does anything with it? Yeah, so I, I guess, and I, like you, don't really know uh, some of the inner workings of these issues. But if it's a private development, then the question is, what uh, responsibility do those private developers have or capacity? Because mm. if they were in crisis because of the, I don't know, you know, the they couldn't get the people to come in or businesses failed in a mall or whatever it is, then what capacity do they have to do the repurposing or the revitalization? Um, 
Is leaving a building there standing until some time when you can do something, uh, it's an eyesore for the public, it might be a security issue, but what legal compulsion is there for those developers to actually do something? I mean, in other countries, you know, such abandoned buildings might be torn down, but I know in Malaysia, I've seen abandoned buildings stand and decades. Just Decades, right? Yeah. Literally decades. And so the question is, what is it? What's going on? Is it because pri- pri- uh, private property rights prevents the state from coming in and demanding some, uh, you know, some action? And I don't know w- what the answer is. Well, hopefully our guest might, because we are going to be speaking with Isan Zainal Mukta, who is the immediate past president of the Malaysian Institute of Planners. Uh, we'd like to hear from you, though. Since we're talking about abandoned buildings today, have you noticed these kind of dotting our landscape? Mm-hmm. What would you like done about them? Would you like them converted? Would you like them torn down? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet Tweet us at BFM Radio. Bole for Malaysia. Ha. BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 5.14 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. We're talking today about the curious, mysterious case of abandoned buildings, the many abandoned spaces that we have, not just around the capital city, but really in many other, particularly urban spaces uh, in our country. And we're asking you, have you noticed these abandoned buildings? What would you like done about them? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now, we have Isan Zainal Mukta, immediate past president of the Malaysian Institute of Planners. Um, Isan, welcome back to the show. Hi. So help us understand, to begin with, how do spaces or structures like these come to be abandoned? Usually it's because uh, it's the case of ownership. You know, if you're talking about the buildings just now, you're talking about some of the structures. It's because I, I would think so that it is a badly placed. It's not somewhere that people would uh, recognize. Most of the structures that are located in the appropriate place uh, would not be abandoned. Now, is, an, uh, is that an official way of uh, sort of drawing a, uh, a line, a threshold when uh, buildings get designated as sick? Um, officially, I don't think so. I mean, who would designate uh, a, a building as sick or a structure as uh, not welcoming, you know? It's more public opinion, I guess. Unless somebody actually uh, complains or wants to use of that space, uh, or it is an eyesore, uh, but to designate something uh, that is not uh, visually interesting would be... Um, you know, I, I wouldn't call it officially. Uh, it would be more of the view of the public then. Yeah, kind of follow up on that. You know, some buildings don't get, say, their certificate of fitness. Uh, they they can't be, you know, uh, people can't move in or businesses can't move in. I mean, what is the official term for a building that has failed as a building and doesn't have sanction to even house people? Okay, in that case, it's different because if it does not have a certificate of fitness and then it can't be utilized for any use for that matter, if it was designed for residential or commercial, it would have to get the certificate of fitness. The local authority would be the one that would issue it. And, uh, and uh, the, uh, you know, if it's not fit uh, for, for, for safety reasons, then, then it would be official. 
We started off the show by looking at some of the structures around the River of Life project, but are there other examples that come to mind, especially around, you know, kale? I, I can't pinpoint one exactly, but uh, there was the article in the Star that, that showed that there was uh, uh, urban sculptures. So, but we have to put all these things in, in context, you know. Uh, usually, under the River of Life, these uh, structures were, de- were designed uh, to give that, that uh, space uh, a sense of identity. Uh, you know, we can say, okay, we'll meet at this particular place. Uh, it would be easy for people to walk, uh, see along the footpath, along the river, and, and identify uh, these markers, if you like, uh, and make the space memorable. So for the River of Life, uh, uh, there, there were various... Uh, if you like, uh, that was identified. And uh, some of them were most probably uh, not uh, properly, uh, not proper in its place, you know, wasn't properly designed, I guess. It, it's something that's very relative, you know. Um, if, if something that is uh, visually attractive, uh, it would be memorable, you know. There are many structures in the city that once you look at it, you remember, you remember where it was, and if um, if these structures are they're either not memorable or they're not in the path or in your visual um, place where you see them, so you know it's better forgotten, I guess. What? I don't know if you have actually ventured out, uh, you know, through those projects that come under the River of Life des, uh, term, but. How widespread do you think the failures are in terms of those spaces or buildings uh, under the River of Life project? Okay, uh, let's put it this way. Let's let's remember the memorable ones, right? Uh, like if you look, um, uh, even Masjid Jame, the one that has been created on the outside, uh, along the footpath um, where you can actually view uh, the Masjid Jame, those are spaces that people remember under the River of Life. Uh, I think that's a... Um, uh, the Lat cartoon in the telecom building, I'm not sure whether that's really part of the river of life, uh, but there's also the big screen near the Dataran, which uh, shows uh, what's happening along the river. Uh, these are things or structures or buildings that people would remember, and I think they've done very well uh, with regards to the uh, Bangunan Sultan Abu Samad and uh, the theatre. You know, the, the buildings itself is very... Uh, easy to remember. It has an identity uh, towards the city. It's well taken care of. So I think these are the characteristics if you are looking for in making spaces memorable, something that uh, reflects Kuala Lumpur, something that reflects the history of Kuala Lumpur. Uh, or else, you know, if, if, if a structure is not attractive visually, uh, it doesn't have meaning, and uh, I guess that's when you don't remember about it, you know? Mm. And uh, a significant reason um, why we have this issue with abandoned buildings is, you know, overdevelopment or developers being unable to fulfil or complete the project. How can the government and developers work together to kind of address this issue? Okay, that's interesting because uh, um, there, there were many buildings, for example, in certain cities like Melbourne, where the building was originally designed, especially in the CBD, for office space. But because at that time, at that particular time, uh, there was not much demand for um, office buildings and the buildings were actually converted to residential use. So for us in our big cities and in 
particular in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, this has got to do with even the national policy of looking at housing. See, we have this policy that we want everybody to have a roof over their head, but uh, to even own the house. So I think it's about time that we have this uh, shift, you know. Uh, I think um, we should go into um, rent kind of renting spaces, which happens a lot in Scandinavian countries, but it's, it's a big paradigm shift, meaning that uh, you provide people with more affordable housing um, in in the city centre, but they don't have to own it. So the, the rates will be more uh, affordable, more reasonable. So this is quite a big shift to the, the concept of everybody uh, should own a house. So uh, that, that can be part of the solution, the long-term solution of abandoned housing, of uh, buildings not occupied, of sales not met, you know. So it, it's not it's not complicated. Uh, it's not as simple as that as well, but it's an approach that I think uh, um, the authorities uh, should be looking into. Looking at buildings that were uh, designed for one particular use, but use it for another use, which is in demand, for example, housing. Just to follow up on that, do you think that there is the legislative framework for for allowing government to intervene with uh, private developers to get them to repurpose? Uh, You know, many of us have seen buildings stand either in skeletal form or, you know, kind of half built uh, and nothing happens. Is it when you think of what government can do to push developers, you know, do they have the legislative uh, heft to do so? Uh, it's they do, but you see, um, fundamental to the to the issues is the, the two aspects. If you're talking about just particularly about abandoned building, it it's got many reasons. You know, sometimes it's uh, the financial reasons. The company that started building it uh, do not have the financial capacity to go on. Uh, they they stop halfway, and uh, there are certain uh, sometimes technical reasons. Now, whether they have the uh, legislative power to actually uh, continue with the project, they do. But it, it is a bit more complex than that because it involves ownership and it involves uh, probably uh, bank loans and things like that that needs to be settled. And um, I don't know whether you're aware, but I, I do not want to name specific projects, but there are projects that have been abandoned for maybe 20 to 30 years in this, in, within the city areas that is not solvable because of the complexity of the issues but but it, it takes the uh, effort from all parties uh, to to look into this uh, it can be solved uh, maybe the laws can be um, strengthened in order to allow uh, these buildings to be saved you know it, it's not impossible but it is tough and difficult because of the complexities and the parties involved Okay, so simply put, right, from a developmental or town planning perspective, whose responsibility is it to maintain or find a use for these sorts of spaces? Well, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, for, for you and me and for the general public, we would like to say, you know, uh, finally it is the, the authorities that would have the um, uh, final say on, on how do we solve this problem. But uh, I think public... Treasure uh, would also play a role uh, in, in helping, you know, the city because it, it has got to do with uh, the, the image of the city, national uh, as well, and um, it, maybe the authorities could form, you know, a special task force, uh, strengthen the law, uh, and ensure that because there's too many vested interests in, in, in 
in not continuing with the building. And somebody has to take stock. And I, I guess uh, it points back to the authorities. Now, you know, if you were to advise the government, uh, whether it's at the federal level, the state level, or even the local uh, municipal level, what kind of best practices are you seeing that we can emulate? Uh, I would say Melbourne. Uh, I gave you an example. Uh, I said what well, probably happened about two decades ago or more um, when the city had an abundance of uh, abundance of uh, buildings that was designed for office space. Uh, but when the authorities there looked at it and there was a demand for the young population to find housing so they can save on uh, uh, public transport, they can be nearer to the work of place, you know. So those those commercial office space, so as to say, were converted into uh, residential use. So that's one model that we can look into. The other model that we can look into is the Scandinavian countries, where I said that the, the, the emphasis is more on having a roof over your head as a rental unit rather than to own. But we have to look into the laws uh, allowing people to own houses, uh, and I mean, sorry, to rent houses, but uh, to feel secure. You see, because in the Malaysian context, we feel that if we rent a house, it's not that secure, you know. Um, it's better to own a house. But um, the the realistic, realistic part of the economy is that um, when, when you can rent the house and when the authorities or you know own the house and you have laws to protect people who rent and also the owners uh, who rent it out, um, if they were the authorities, it, it somehow uh, somehow helps to solve a lot of problems uh, with regards to uh, house ownership. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a paradigm shift. So it has been done in other countries. It has been, uh, but maybe in Asia and particularly in Malaysia, uh, we're looking at that. You know, but it, it is also a fact of life today that uh, most of us uh, in the 30s, uh, when you are about to own a house, it's not affordable anymore. So the, the the mechanism would be, you know, I, I think uh, to rent the house, uh, smaller families do exist now, and uh, our transportation system is getting better. So we kind of have to, have to change the way we look at things and, and, and segment it towards uh, this population, the young population, that uh, it's better for them to rent the house and it's better for the economy as well. Isan, we just have uh, a little bit over a minute left with you. And, you know, we often ask you this when you come on, but where does communi- community engagement enter the picture? How can the community get involved on this issue? I think um, uh, over the years, local authorities, uh, in particular in the big cities, have been quite vocal. And the community uh, has through, I think, uh, many forums and engagements. We go through, we go, uh, we promote. Uh, I think sustainability. Uh, so these ideas about, you know, uh, since we are now in, in the stage of uh, the government trying to be more sustainable in many ways, you know. So the community engagement, I think, um, uh, can happen. Uh, uh, the local authorities need to um, engage more, I think. I think Slango has done, a, one, one aspect of it is they have done this uh uh, allow people to rent to own. You know, they have this uh, instrument that happens, and uh, uh, means meaning that you don't have to pay a- as much. They would allow you to actually own the house. So um, th- there's a lot of interaction between the authorities and the community as well. So I, I-, I think it's there, but uh, more can be done. I think the local authorities definitely can play a, a more role, trying to understand the needs of the populace. You know, 
rather than assume that you know uh, everybody just um, everybody wants to buy a house. I think that that thinking of buying a house have to change. And I think um, definitely I agree with you that we need to do more and engage uh, the community more. Isan, thank you so much for speaking with us. You're most welcome. That was Isan Zainal Mukta, who is the immediate past president of the Malaysian Institute of Planners, weighing in on the uh, conversation on abandoned buildings. We're asking you as well, is this something you've noticed? Um, what would you like done about this issue? You can call us, you can send us a voice note or WhatsApp and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. It is 5.39 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sherrod. And we started off our show today with a conversation about abandoned buildings. buildings. But also, I mean, abandoned buildings make it sound like we are talking about really large-scale developments. And we were, to some degree, we were talking about malls and the like. But we were also bouncing off of an original um, article from The Star, which actually looked at smaller structures, you know, things that, yeah, they're buildings, but they're really, you know like a public restroom that's not working or something that looks like a, a resting structure for a few people to sit in. Anyway, it's just they're currently sitting along and not being used. And so we wanted to know, have you noticed these sorts of abandoned buildings? Um, what would you like done about them? Are there solutions we could look at? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. So uh, we did get a voice note actually that came in from Johnny. Hello, BFM. I'm a baby boomer coming from Lakar. I see there are many private projects which are abandoned. But suddenly next door, there are new building projects coming up. Another one, <coughs> another one is the government rundown projects. Then suddenly now it has been revitalized, which I think it's very suspicious. Where is the money coming from? You know, there are no free lunch. Where is the accountability and transparency? Can someone kindly enlighten me? Thank you. Thanks, Johnny. So I I think um, we'll tackle that one at a time, right? So to your point about private projects that are abandoned and new projects coming up, I think that's exactly what we were talking about, that from the point of view of the consumer or just the your regular denizen, that it does feel like, why are there so many buildings? You can't even fill the existing ones. But of course, that's what happens when you have lots of developers and they have different business interests. Yeah, and also... I think there's something to be said about the approval process for buildings, right? You can't just put up a building, even if you own a parcel of land. And I know that pressures once, uh, say, uh, you get approval and, and then there's a downturn in the economy. I, I think what I understand is uh, that developers have a little t a time frame in which to fulfill the promise of building a building. So they might be forced to put it up, even though the time might not be right. But still, um, one wonders about... The business model, you know, this. I have a huge mall next to me that has been abandoned, basically, in in a in an area. I think there are far too many malls already because, you know, malls need people. They need 
people to spend money, not just walk around for the free air conditioning, right? To, for them to survive. Yeah, and they need more than grocers. I, I think that a lot of malls have relied now on, uh, this is a separate show probably, but uh, a lot of malls have relied now on grocers being anchor tenants and then sort of assuming that people will come to shop and that you will then do other things in the mall. But if other retail outlets are slow to come, then what I'm going to do is show up, get my groceries, take advantage of your potentially free parking and and go, right? Um, which then doesn't result in enough usage for the mall. Johnny, to your other point, I'm not sure which projects you're talking about, about um, projects that are run down that the government is revitalizing. If you're referring to River of Life, that one's actually quite well documented. It was part of the um, economic transformation program back in the day. So if you're interested, you can look it up. I'm not sure, though, um, about the other projects, if there are other projects uh, that you're referring to. Cheryl, uh, sorry. I just want to say, though, Johnny, I think you really are right to ask questions about accountability. Yes. Because one of the problems would be that you have a private development, it fails economically or in terms of its business, and then government comes in to kind of turn things around. But that's public money. So what you're doing is you, you're socializing the cost of dealing with a private failure. Now, is that fair? Is that ethical? Uh, how much of it is something we want uh, happen with government uh, with regard to these kinds of projects? A few people um, pointing out well, okay, Cheryl actually has a solution saying for abandoned malls, refurbish it and convert it to schools or other community centres. It's strategic place, um, ample parking spots. Many existing schools are in dire need. That's a very interesting suggestion, Cheryl. But in, and one of the things that we can do these exercises and kind of reimagining how these spaces could be used. But there's this sticky problem of ownership. Who owns those buildings and spaces and what do you do with them? How do you compensate the original owners? Will they give it up? For their failure. Yeah, well, in some cases, right? Indeed, right? Yeah. So, so like SS2 Mall, I can't even tell you who, I don't know who built it. It's a huge space and quite nice. And in fact, there was a little theatre uh, space in it as well. But could it be converted into a community centre? Yes, of course. But then who would spend the money? Especially when buildings are abandoned for a long time. I think they deteriorate. They them. do, yeah. I'm always very interested by uh, spaces like uh, like shopping malls or in fact like offices, which are purpose-built. And so then you see the ways in which it's purpose-built, right? Like you can always tell when a hotel used to be an office. <laughs> um, you can always tell when... Um, yeah, you can always tell when, when a building has just been sort of retrofitted to, to become something else. But I think that a mall becoming a community centre or an extension of a school is actually very interesting because you might have uh, somewhere like a theatre, right, within that setting. So that can be the auditorium. You, you would have lots of uh, restrooms. There, there are things that are within a shopping mall space where it makes sense. Stuart says, uh, Plaza Rakyat, abandoned since 1988, owned by DBKL, 75-storey tower, 1,000-room hotel, 40-storey condo. Some buyers of shops have indeed died. Uh, it's less than a kilometre from Medica 118. Yeah, so this, I think, Stuart, if you're trying to suggest that, you know, uh, this other development, Medeca 118, you know, one development fails, why have another development? Uh, if that's your meaning, I, I, do, uh, I do agree with you. There is this concern that we're not designing and our cities correctly. There's a lot of ambition, but perhaps less re, uh, the reality on the ground might be less than uh, positive for such developments. Uh, Ro, meanwhile, says, I often pass a building. It's by Lake Gardens. It appears fairly empty and abandoned. I believe it's called Parliament. Ouch. 
Bro, it has it was during the time of Prime Minister Muhyiddin Yassin. I think <laughs> I think he did, did actually shut Parliament down for a very long time, and we did at that time wonder if it would ever see light again. But it, apparently, it's quite busy now. It's quite busy these days. Also, um, in a post-apocalyptic setup, right? Um, you know, because in a post-apocalyptic setup shopping malls and things like that will, will be of great use. I imagine that Parliament will be a pretty good place to hold up. You've got the deer, you've got the gates, you know, you've just got got things to to do <laughs> within the space. Um, I don't know. But you know, there's uh, a work by the artist Nadia Bamadhaj yeah. about um, Putrajaya. And it's kind of a post-apocalyptic vision of Putrajaya, kind of full of moss and of you know things growing, I do. I must say, I love the idea of rewilding parts of our city. Yes, me too. Um, I I think though that for that we spoke earlier with our guest who spoke uh, who discussed mindset shifts and he was relating it to property ownership. But I think that there's something to be said about the need for a mindset shift if you wanted to rewild because for the same reason that people might not want to own secondhand clothes, I don't think that everyone looks at wilderness or, or the ways in which spaces are rewilded and see um, see something positive. They might see something messy. They might see something, well, you know, frankly, wild in a space that they don't want. It's true. It's true. I, the mindset shift would include uh, learning to live with wild things. Yeah. But also recognizing on the positive side, you know, better air, uh, just greenery. Though I must say, you know, I'm just looking out from BFM. We have green all around us. Actually, KL and the Klang Valley, despite all its problems, is often very green. It is. Um, but then we compare ourselves to, say, the Garden City, um, that is Singapore, and then, again, want that and not necessarily what we have. Lok says, if any building is abandoned for, let's say, five years, the authorities send a notice to the property owner and ask for their plans. If no response or no plans, then authorities have the right to demolish. Yeah, look, uh, wonderful idea. The question is, do the laws actually reflect that? Can that actually be done? Right. Um, and, and also, I have to say that while I think it's a great plan, I imagine that the bureaucracy involved in waiting for the responses <laughs> after you actually send it through. So, you know, if if you respond back and just say, I have received, but not necessarily what's going to happen. What is it, another year? Um, you know, so I, I think that there are bureaucratic elements to consider there. Anyways, keep those thoughts coming. We're talking about abandoned buildings. Have you noticed them around town or, in fact, in the country? What would you like done? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.